I feel encouraged, and I just want to partner with you guys in bringing a word of encouragement uh, today to everybody here in the church house. How are you doing? Feeling good. Everybody online and at home, whether you're watching right now or later on when you're mowing the lawn or driving your car to Costco or doing what you do, it doesn't matter to me. I want to speak a word of encouragement to you um, from the scriptures. And uh, But before I do, I'd like to just make a short announcement that uh, we will be taking communion together today. We're always trying to find out ways to do that because right now things are, are kind of weird. We seemed good to us to invite you to bring your own stuff. And so if you didn't get that memo, that's fine. We still have uh, quite a few of those small cups uh, that we got from the day we were doing the drive-through. And uh, if you guys remember that or not, but feel free to even now go and get one of those. They're in bowls back by the door. Um, but we'll be taking communion later. And if you're at home right now or in your house, just make sure if you guys want to do that to uh, get the stuff ready uh, so that we can do it together um, and do it more seamlessly. As a community this summer, we've been leaning into and lifting our hearts and minds to uh, think and pray about the Holy Spirit, to learn and to encounter Him. And so... Right along with that, I just would like to say, I'd like to read to you 14 verses from the book of 2 Timothy. And yeah, it might have been, or it has been sort of frustrating to some of you for um, as long as I've been at Crossroads, it hasn't been um, easy for us to do what, what is called topical messages. And it can be frustrating because some of us might start to think, you know, like, what am I learning and how is this working and what's the rhythm and flow here? And I feel your pain, but part of the MO here at Crossroads is that we tend to, in topical situations, really err on the side of invitation. Whether it be meals with Jesus for years ago or, or, or whether it be this now, what we want to do is avoid trivializing our relationship with God by taking a time out of our summer to just sort of dissect God as if he were sitting on some operating table so that we can understand him more. Maybe that's part of it. But what I want to do is encourage you and invite you to taste and see. Every week we, we, we are gathering together and using this time to encourage one another to see who God is for you. And as I speak today, maybe you can even um, catch yourself and, and wonder, am I just exercising my intellect right now or am I actually being invited into something that maybe you need to put the pen down and say, God, be this for me. And say that prayer for your own life. Who are you to me? This isn't true for me. Help me. I want to invite you to taste and see. Today I want to talk to you uh, from 2 Timothy. Before I get there, let me introduce the author. It's a guy we call Paul. He'll answer to Apostle Paul, St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, my favorite, Rabbi Shaul. And he, God has used him mightily in uh, breaking out of the Jewish world, the gospel going into the world of the Gentiles like you and I. And he has also been used mightily to write much of the New Testament. He then does get one of his first disciples, his name is Timothy, and over the course of their ministry together, they're separated and do various different things dynamically, and Paul is writing him letters to encourage him. 
And so I like to call this famous last words because, uh, 2 Timothy, because this, I think, is the last letter that Paul wrote uh, before he died. And so carry with us the, the same weight that we would carry knowing anyone else's final speech or their last words or something that they wrote to you knowing. I mean, he says in here, uh, in chapter 4, I do know the time is coming soon. So please, if you're willing, stand with me for the reading of 2 Timothy chapter 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I'm reminding you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us into a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I'm suffering as I am. And I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him that, on that, for that day. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. This morning I'd like to talk to you about the architecture of endurance. And in order to do that, I'd like to get a little bit into the situation that Timothy finds himself in. Who is Timothy? As I was, you know, reading and studying this week, it seemed to me, um, and I could be misunderstanding, uh, you know, that's part of my life, okay? <laughs> I, I noticed that there was a tenor when, when people that I was reading talk about Timothy, as though he is just a man or a young man full of insecurities, kind of a wet blanket that Apostle Paul has to always kind of encourage, and he's just really emo, you know, early, mid-2000s, like just uh, listens to the dashboard, confessional too much, or whatever, and he, he just needs this encouragement. And I don't know, I, I was thinking about just his life, and, and I think there's a little bit more to him than meets the eye. Timothy was born... Um, in a biracial family, in a time where race, economics, uh, political ties, different values, 
uh, religiously, it's all enmeshed. And it's very difficult to live out a lifestyle with two different uh, race, uh, races represented in, in your family. Um, so his dad's side would be more of the Gentile way of life, the more the values that you'd find in Rome and, and, and the gods that they're trying to live for. But his mom's side is clearly going towards the Hebrew way of life, the, the Jewish God, and that lifestyle has, uh, would be very conflicting. Not an easy place for a kid to grow up in or to be, you know, to be torn in those two different ways. Strike two is that it seems like, uh, maybe a lot of us don't know this, but in the Jewish faith, there, there in the Torah is a reference to a Hebrew word called a mamzer, which is someone who is born of a forbidden union. This person has all kinds of restrictions put on them because of the cultural laws of uh, cleanliness and holiness. And so Timothy would be considered a momser. You're not allowed to be circumcised. This comes into, uh, this piece has a, a big part of his story with the Apostle Paul. You're not allowed to do regular stuff, worship stuff in the synagogue. You have restrictions on you. Uh, think about how that would make you feel growing up having that dark cloud hanging over your head. Strike two. Strike three. It seems like, uh, well, from Paul here saying, Timothy's mother and grandmother have put their faith in Jesus, making them Christian. This means that they are now a minority within a minority. The smaller sect of Christianity in the, in the world of Judaism is not always received well. Let me tell you. Timothy has three strikes against him before he gets out of bed in the morning. He served in five different uh, New Testament churches, but he is primarily sent to Ephesus, where Rod introduced us to last week. Suffice it to say, a, a very diverse religious environment, the third largest city in the Roman world, uh, only smaller than Alexandria and Rome itself. Not to mention, this letter, um, scholars date to be in the 60s. If you know anything about the 60s, okay, not the summer of love in, um, in the Roman world, okay? The 60s was the, the era, you know, around 64 is when Rome, the great fire of Rome happened. Uh, and this was then largely pinned on the Christian community, which then, you know, set ablaze, if you will, a age of persecution on the Christians. Paul is talking to Timothy in a very tumultuous time. No surprise that 14 different times in the book of 2 Timothy, you hear references to enduring and to uh, having patience in suffering. And, and you will be persecuted. I'm a prisoner. I'm in jail. I am suffering. I'm willing to die for the gospel. All these sayings are packed into this letter because of the time that he's living in. Yeah, I would say that Timothy has some insecurities, but I think he has a lot on his mind, uh, not just taking himself too seriously, but he, he's living in a tumultuous time. And it's important for us to see that because then we can ask ourselves the responsible question when reading this, which is why would the Apostle Paul think that saying these things would matter to somebody in a uh, difficult time? We may not 
be in the you know mid-century of the first century of Rome or, or Roman Empire, but I'd be willing to bet that some of you are carrying around a little bit more stress these days than normal. I'd be willing to bet that some of us in this church are carrying around uh, some stress and maybe starting to feel con- constantly overwhelmed by the difficult times that we live in. What would Paul say to you as you are in ministry in this town and in this city? What would Paul say to us as we are carrying uh, the stress that we have on our lives right now? Because let me tell you, it's very easy in a time of destabilization or in a time where we feel overwhelmed to hide, to just survive, to put our heads down and get lost back in a Netflix uh, show forever, or, or to put our heads down and, and stop representing the gospel. Remember the words of Jesus today, friends, when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted, and the next thing he says, you are the light of the world. You're the city. Don't light that lamp and then hide it. Don't take, uh, fall to the temptation to hide it. There's a world out there who are also overwhelmed who are also struggling with the same things that we're struggling with, but you have hope. You have a fire that's inside of you. Fan that flame. Make sure that it's as bright as possible so people can see the hope that you carry. Are you tempted right now to hide and to cover and to just survive? Well, I want to encourage you today to fan the flame, to be the light, and to carry your hope out into the world and endure during this time. So what are some things that Paul thinks are helpful to think about as we endure? One of the first things that comes to mind here is strictly reinforcing identity. Seems like this is coming up every single week and maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something. Strictly reinforcing an identity. And it starts by Paul, I think, talking about remembering who you are. Remembering who you are, Timothy. Look, Tim, I am, remember, I'm coming from a legacy here of my forefathers. And remember what your grandmother and your mother have placed in you. Do not forget this. Because when one starts to build their identity on a, something that is like sand or shallow, uh, this is what happens. You start to feel like you have to protect and conserve, and uh, it, it comes with it a pattern of fear. If our identity is built on something of this world, we'll then have a limited capacity to be able to uh, enjoy that or to experience that. And so naturally, we're inclined to to uh, be afraid of all kinds of threats, all right? And in a time of stress, this is where this actually matters. Who are you? What are you building on? Is it an ideology? Is it a type of a, a way of life in America? Is it some sort of belief system or some sort of a rhythm of a year that you're, uh, that you're accustomed to? The things that we can attach our identities to can be so fickle and fragile, and when they are threatened, we can then just start to clam up, become afraid, and have to fight for those things, and forgetting the most important part of who we are, Timothy. 
Do not forget, remember that moment where I remember your tears. Remember when I laid my hands on you and prayed for you. May, the, may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I ever forget, when Rod laid his hands on me 12 years ago to pray for me to have a gift of preaching, where I never preached a sermon in my life, and I didn't have a calling or a gift that I really knew, you know, how, what to do in, in this life and in this world. But now I do come back to that moment as often as possible to remember, remember who I am. Remember what God is doing in you. Who are you? When's the last time you turned off the voice of your culture telling you who you are? And when you turned on the voice of God telling you who you are? What is your testimony? I mean, do you ever take time to just at least evaluate the ratio of like what's coming in versus what's going out? I mean, how, how often do you craft and articulate versions of your testimony that you can speak to yourself, that you can speak to one another? What is your testimony? Remember that, that evil and sin have entered into this world and have put their poisonous hooks in all of us. And there was a time where we all were dead and, and in our sin and in our trespasses and could not fix it and could not heal it and could not get out of that. But with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, your God reached out and grabbed you and pulled your life out of the pit and lifted you up out of that despair and has given you a calling and has adopted you and given you a new life in his son. He died for you and he loves you. Who are you? I have a mind right now to just sort of ask. We have a microphone right here. Would anybody like to just share one minute of your testimony? Maybe it's been a while for you, and you just want to encourage your people, your church right now. Maybe one person, just stand up and take this microphone and just give us just a minute of your testimony, reminding us who you are. Anybody want to? We got an author in the house. Here, come here. Couch. Is this on? Yes. Do I have to turn this on? I could hear you, but they can't hear you. Hi. <laughs> when I was 16, I gave my life to Jesus behind our living room couch because um, no one in my family knew Christ. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But downstairs in our basement was a Bible that my grandmother had, and I knew that Bible was there. And I was miserable. My, our whole family was miserable. Um, I grew up with good people. My mom and dad were good people, but they didn't know Jesus. And as a result, the light of God was not in our home. So I went and got that Bible, and I was behind the couch because I couldn't let anybody in my house see me read the Bible. And so over and over and over, I read the red words 
only the red words, because they looked important. <laughs> they were red. So I read the red words. And as a result, I gave my life to Christ. Nobody led me to Jesus except him, his red words. And I remember that when I think about my own kids. I remember that um, it's an encouragement to me to know that the best thing I can do for my own kids is pray for them. Because my mom and dad didn't lead me to Jesus. So it, I don't know. I hope that's an encouragement to somebody. But um, yeah, that's, that's my testimony. Um, in a nutshell, um, I started going to church, and that was really, that was awesome. But I also picked up a lot of baggage that went with religion that I didn't have before. And so three years ago this fall, um, everything was just going great. And then my world came crashing down because I, did, I didn't remember my identity in Jesus. And Jesus kept telling me, it was Ephesus in Revelation, where Jesus was, you know, the angel of the church was speaking to Ephesus. And Jesus told me, remember, go back and do the things that you did at the beginning. And I was a believer. I, you know, I, I loved the Lord, but I lost something. And so when Jesus said that to me, remember, go back and do the things you did at the beginning. I literally took a Bible and I pulled out my living room couch and I got on my stomach and I started to read the red words again. And it was just so, I got back to Jesus again. And that's where my identity is and that's where my identity will be. Hmm. That's it. Thank you. Part of the architecture of endurance is remembering who you are, but it's also speaking out to one another the truth of who you are. I know that it's so easy to just gloss over verse 2. To Timothy, my dear son. Why is it important that he speaks out that identity to Timothy? I know it's easy for us sometimes to look in the mirror and just reinforce it to ourselves. But how much more powerful is it to speak out the identity that we all have as family in Christ to one another? I know that I've been accused of this sort of being a hobby horse of mine. And I know, well, if I go down as that guy, then that's fine. I actually just am convicted that we do a very poor job of recognizing in the church uh, the family that we have been brought into by the work of Jesus Christ. And it is confusing, and I get it. We constantly carry around this dualism of, I have blood family, and I have to respond to that because I just keep responsibility. My God put me in this family. Honor thy father and mother. You know, be there. But also, we have this other family, this family of God that Jesus has brought us into. But Paul doesn't put a footnote here. He doesn't have a parenthesis here that says, in Christ, you know, the one, the Christianese version of saying, like, just so that everybody knows you're not my real son, you're my son in Christ. And, like, uh, you know, he doesn't give us an asterisk or anything. You might just go on and think, this is his real son. 
his blood relative. So why is that important? Well, I think that the more we can speak out and reinforce the, 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 our identities to one another, the more likely we are to live in a consistent life with that identity, with that truth. And the more we can live consistently, not only will that bring everything that you know about the loyalties of a family, and, but it will also speak to our world because the more we compartmentalize, the less credibility we have. The more we say, yeah, I have my church family on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then on the, you know, I have my regular family over here and I can compartmentalize the two. I can push those aside and, and be this person when I'm at my house church and be this person when I'm at my, my events or whatever, but really I don't treat them like they're my actual, my real, my blood family. That, that's kind of on them. And I don't have this figured out, but I do want to encourage you to wrestle with this. And I think I can just justify that by reminding you that Jesus wrestles with this. Isn't it in Matthew 12 where, um, where Jesus is sitting there and he's in a room full of people and they're like, hey, your blood family's outside. They want to come in. Unless you just think that he's like, yeah, they're my priority. Yeah, they're more important to me. Jesus stops and he points to the people that are around him and said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Those who do the will of my father because we have the same father. And I'm going to open up the door right now instead of close it. I'm not going to make this this show the hierarchy of, of who's important to me. Now I'm going to open it wide up to somebody who might be rich and who might be poor, somebody who might be sick and somebody who might be healthy and say, you can be a part of this family. You are my mother and my brothers and my sister. A lot of people don't know this, but when Facebook first came out, I uh, didn't quite understand it, but I was wrestling with the same stuff. And so I was like, they're like, who's your friends? And then it says, who's your Who's your family? And I promise you, I clicked family on every single friend that I had. And I didn't know that they would be notified of that or whatever. And some people were like, don't be writing that on there. And so even to this day, if you go in there, there's a bunch of them that are private that I can only see, but they can't see because this is what I think. Uh, Jesus on the cross. I mean, you'd think he could say anything he wants to say here. He is being tortured to death, and he has the presence of mind, listen to this, to look down at John and look down at Mary and say, woman, this is your son. This is your mother. Remember when he talks to Mary after he's resurrected in the garden, what does he say to her? Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended, but go and tell my brothers that I'm leaving to go to our father. He's giving us permission to look at one another and reinforce the identity and to speak that identity out and to not apologize for it. Timothy, you are my son. Think about what that would mean for a momser, a guy who was on the outside of the outside and to have a rabbi here who was trained by the Elon Musk of their day look at him and say, no, I think you can be like me. I think you can be exactly like me and take even what I am farther. You are my son. 
three years ago about I started making a commitment as I'm wrestling through all this to address people as often as I can with the word brother or sister. Sometimes it's magic and sometimes it's tragic. (laughs) But if you know me, you know this is true because I want to speak out what I believe and who I believe that you are. And I, I think it has been changing the dynamics of, uh, of the people that are close to me and our relationship because I do now feel that same burden of sibling with so many more people. And this only matters in a time of crisis. This doesn't only matter, but good grief. Okay, if we're on vacation, that's one thing to be calling each other siblings. But the beautiful thing about a family is it is a rock. It is an anchor in a time of a storm. Tell me you, you, you haven't seen this at a funeral or at a time when, when a family's in crisis that brothers and sisters show up and they surround the person that's needed and they link arms together and they say, this is my family right now. This is what you've been brought into. This is what's on the table for you. Speak out that identity, and in a time of overwhelming stress and crisis, we can be the anchor for one another, and we can endure. My eyes are drawn to um, Paul reinforcing the uh, certain things about the Holy Spirit here in verse 7. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Why did, he, why did he think of those three things to say? Out of all of the things that he could say, why did he put those there? And how could that help somebody like Timothy or somebody like us? Well, what does it do for you to see that the Holy Spirit's work in your life has something to do with power? What does the word power mean to you in your worldview? Because I'll tell you what, for somebody like me who grew up in the 90s with all kinds of uh, cartoons like the X-Men or the Power Rangers or whatever. You got power right there in the name. And then the, the, the gifted youngsters or whatever. I started to think as I was growing up that power meant some sort of special uh, accent to your life that will then give you power. Okay, power. It's an edge. It's important to get that edge. As you grow and you get out of that kind of thing, that same thinking can evolve and, and start to think, okay, so maybe it's not a superpower, but maybe the Holy Spirit can give me a power which is like um, some sort of momentum, that can give me momentum in my cultural context. So I can use the Holy Spirit to give me what I want, and so I can further this effort, or I can do this through that, or I can use it as some sort of give me momentum. Now, if that's true, this looks a lot, it's very suspicious, because it looks a lot like the way the world uses power. Because the promise of that type of power is that you will then get some sort of um, control. A little more control over the outcome of this situation. A little more control over the the way that your life is lived here. And, And you'll use that power to control your circumstance. But I'd like to reiterate The end of that road leads to fear. It leads to conserve. It leads to protect. It leads to don't threaten the control that I have. What does the power that the Holy Spirit gives us look like? Well, look at verse 8. He's in prison right now. But he calls Timothy to join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
The power that the Holy Spirit brings to your life is to help you endure in a context of suffering for the gospel. But when you start to live your life in accordance with the kingdom of God, the devil's going to be chasing you. And there will be uh, an effort against you. There will be strategic strikes against you. And you will need uh, empowerment. And God is not going to leave you hanging. He is not going to leave you by yourself. He is not going to abandon you. He's going to give you what you need. Remember all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when this is the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and he will give you power. He will empower you for a reason, to be my witness. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people uh, who have tried to use the you know, the Christian, the, the Holy Spirit's power for their own advantage in certain efforts, and then uh, it, it turns into an abusive thing. I've seen a lot of people who have tried, myself included, to just arbitrarily receive some gift or, uh, you know, walk on water or whatever, just for my own sake, just so that I can be entertained by the Holy Spirit, which then ultimately leads to people feeling disillusioned or feeling disconnected from God or feeling like he's not real. It's not the point in the first place. Let me ask you this, if you feel like disconnected from God, if you feel like God is far away from you, when is the last time that you prayed the prayer, God, help me to love the person right now that I do not like. Help me to love the person right now that I hate. And tell me the power of God will not come into your life and help you to get there. This is a prayer that I like to refer to as the undeniable prayer because I've never known God to hear somebody in humility cry out, help me to love this person that you love, that you died for, that you care for. Help me to get there and him say no. I would love to hear your stories of this because I bet that there are a lot of people in your, in your life right now that are hard for you to love. There are a lot of people in our world right now that, that just give each other permission to hate. But fall on your knees and ask the Holy Spirit to move in your life in a powerful way, and he will, to help you to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God, even to that person. This is the power. The power and love and a sound mind. He goes on to, to say, the Lord has saved you. He has called you into a holy life. He has given you grace, which has been there since before the creation of the world, but is best articulated and revealed through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's like a brilliant light flashing, showing us uh, life and immortality and resurrection. I think that when he's talking about grace here, this is a great way to articulate that love working out of, the Holy, out of our lives through the Holy Spirit. Why do I connect love and grace? Well, the definition I like to use for grace is this, giving or bestowing unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Giving or bestowing unmerited favor might as well then be love in practice. When you, when, you, when you actually work out love in your life, it will be grace. It will be a one-way street of unmerited favor. It's not coming back this way. It's just going this way. This is a very important theme for Paul. You may notice in reading his letters, every single letter begins and ends with some way of him saying, grace to you and grace be with you. He makes a point to as often as he is writing, to pray out that I want that unmerited favor to be part of your life, to be, to be inundated in your community, and to go with you as you spread the gospel. 
this is, this is how the love of God and the power of the Spirit works out in our daily life. Every time that you look at somebody and you, for the sake of the kingdom, forgive them is grace. Every time that we deny being petty and uh, taking the bait and fighting for our, you know, whatever reason is a way for us to show the grace. Every time we are long-suffering and patient with one another, every time we say, I'm going to reach out and, and just try and show love, it's the grace of God working its way through you. As you, have, uh, follow, as you are following the pattern of grace that Jesus has given you, if you aren't very gracious right now, then I want to invite you to experience the Holy Spirit in your life by praying a prayer saying, God, give me grace and help me to use that grace for the people that you love in this world. Power, love, and a sound mind, or at least that's how I, I learned it growing up. Self-discipline works too. What is it? Uh, what, what we... You, do you think we need a sound mind right now in this world? I don't know. I feel like maybe a sound mind, uh, as I look around this world, might be something that a lot of us need to lean into. There is a belief in our world where that by following God, it, it gets more and more mysterious. And in a way, I have sympathy for that. The closer you get to God, the more paradoxical it seems. But if you look down to verse 13 and 14... He, he, he's showing us about a teaching that has a pattern, a sound teaching that has a pattern. I want to uh, just, you know, lay before you the connection between sound mind and sound teaching and use that word pattern there to encourage you. God does not want you to live a life where he puts a moving target in front of you every single day that you do not really know how you're supposed to act. Actually, part of having a sound mind, part of having wisdom in your life is knowing that there are patterns that you can live by. It's hard for some of us to think that because you know deep down there, there are patterns. We do have a Messiah who showed us how to live. He, you know this. We have a pattern in the, the Sermon on the Mount that he laid out for us and said, this is kind of the manifesto of the kingdom of God. This is a pattern. But our lives sometimes, we have different patterns that we go by and we try and rectify them, but it turns into a compartmentalization and looks like uh, it's a total contradiction. And so I just want to encourage you by asking yourself, what pattern am I leaning into and living by? Because if there is a pattern, then there is a map. There, it's not necessary. How do I want to say this? I think a lot of us need to lean into pattern instead of searching for passwords. What does a password do for you? It's a way for you to say the right thing to get into, you know, whatever, the, the next room or to get what you want to get. To say the right words, you can have a memorized, you can have a whole thing where you, you have a password and this is the way that, you know, this is going to work in your life. I've got all the things memorized that I need to do. But what a pattern is, is a pattern leads to fluency. A fluency of a disciple. Patterns are something that you can apply to any situation. But you have to be the one to figure out how that works and how that applies. Like with language. 
password would be to just know all of the words in a language and then be able to use those words to just say certain things. But what is it when someone is fluent in another language or in any language? You're able to evolve and change and be poetic and hear nuance. A person who just says pass a password listens to Johnny Cash say, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die and thinks, that actually happened. Person that is fluent in this language hears that and says, I know, so did I. I know exactly what you're talking about. Pattern that you've been given is actually permission for you to be able to apply the, the, the way of Christ to your unique and complicated and beautiful situation. Being given patterns means that God has not trivialized you by just saying, yeah, if you just have the password and the algorithm and the right way of doing things, you'll be fine. He actually empowers you and says, no, here's the way to, lo- to live and I trust you to figure out how that's going to work out with this person in your life and with that situation and I trust you. But we have to do some work. And sometimes that's just what we feel right now is I need, I need to do some work and figuring out more one-to-one comparisons to the pattern that I'm living in and the pattern that I've been given by my champion and my king and my savior. And if you're not doing well in that regard, don't feel despair. This is part of the hard work of enduring during hard times is to figure out which patterns I need to cut away and which ones I need to lean into. And that very last line of verse 14 should be encouragement to you where he says, guard this with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And I want to invite you this morning to say that if you need it, Holy Spirit, help me. So why don't we just take a moment and pray and uh, and then we'll take communion after that. Father in heaven, Holy Spirit, help us to, um, to reinforce our identities even now. Speak out the same words you spoke out to Jesus to some of us this morning. We just need to hear you say, this is my son whom I love. Convict us to, to be a people that uh, challenge one another to take that family uh, and and to take that community and camaraderie uh, seriously, take responsibility for one another. Help us to remember our testimonies and who we are and who we were and where we're going. If there's any of us that just need uh, your power to be able to bring the gospel into our workplace, into our families and into our situation, if there's anyone coming to mind right now of somebody that you just can't stand, but you know deep down that God loves them, then please help us to get there. Help us to be people of grace and help us to be a patterned people who are following you in uh, wise and innocent ways as we go on into this world. For the sake of your kingdom, inspired by your son, Jesus, whom we love so much. Amen.